Probably the biggest one I'll start with, and is uh, you know the title we talked about is having like five lessons I've learned, and by far the biggest one is communication and the importance of communicating between the people in the mill and the nutritionist, and and that that comes out in a number of different ways. Uh, nutritionists can can sometimes make the life of the person in the feed mill very difficult, or make it easier based on some of the requests that they have, and. And so communication around areas such as if we're going to change ingredients in a diet, you know, given the feed mill lead time to know understanding, you know, what's going to happen and, and can we use up the existing inventory, um, it, you know, to, to make sure that we optimize the, the, the cost and the benefit for everybody in, in the system. To things like uh, having having that comfort level that the that the people on the procurement side in the mill, when they get an ingredient in that doesn't look right, uh, that they can pick up the phone and talk to the nutritionist and say, okay, is there something we, we need to do different here? Or if if things go wrong in the mill, uh, that's that's probably the biggest reason that as a nutritionist I want a good relationship is I want the the people in the mill to be comfortable uh, to tell me when something goes wrong, and so we can come up with a plan that's going to have the least negative impact on on the production system. A whole new era of communication in the feed mill industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds in the global feed mill industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a feed mill, to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. Welcome to the Feed Science Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and all that's working in the global feed mill industry. Welcome everyone to today's episode on uh, Fit Science Podcast. I am here with a very special guest, I'm with Dr. Mike Tokash. Uh, Dr. Tokash is a university distinguished professor of animal sciences and industry at Kansas State University. Dr. Tokash joined Kansas State in 1991, uh, 1991 as swine nutrition research and extension specialist. Uh, Dr. Tokash is an author uh, of more than uh, 420 articles in uh, scientific journals, 11 book chapters, and more than 1,000 extension and non-referred articles. Uh, Tokash uh, received more than 22 million in research grants and gifts, and he has also been awarded seven patents for his research and has given more than um, 300 50 invited lectures in nationals and international meetings. How are you doing, Dr. Tokash? Great. How are you doing today? I am doing good. It's, it is really good to have you here. Um, I have, you know, heard your name a lot uh, because as as you might be aware, Dr. Um, uh, Charles Stark was my advisor uh, in uh, North Carolina State, and I know that you work uh, close together. Yes, yes, and and Charles has told me a lot about you too, and I'm very pleased to be able to meet you. Thank you, thank you, and uh, I think you know, like even though I, I gave like a, a small bio about yourself, can you tell us a little bit about you know uh, your background and how you get into you know a nutrition and a feed processing? Yes, for your audience, I, I mean, one of the biggest things I should uh, understand is I am a swine nutritionist, and so a lot of my perspective and 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 what I'm going to be talking about today comes from that background as a as a swine nutritionist. I got my master's and PhD in swine nutrition, uh, and and then uh, finished my PhD at University of Minnesota, 
And after I'd had my master's here at Kansas State University and did some feed processing work as part of that uh, program. And then I got to know the grain science group at, at that time. And, and, and then I was able to come back on faculty. And so uh, would have overlapped with Keith Benke at that time in terms of uh, uh, working with him some on, on some of my projects. And then, and then also got to know Charles while he was doing his PhD work and, and at the time. And, and, and so uh, we were very fortunate to, to have uh, the grain science department here at Kansas State University that, that as a, as a nutritionist, we got more training at, you know, than what a normal nutritionist received in terms of what was going on in the feed mill. Certainly, I, I'm nowhere near the expert of what yourself or, or Dr. Fahrenholz or Dr. Stark in terms of understanding feed mills, uh, but, it, but I do have a very high appreciation for what happens in the mill. Excellent. And, and, and you know, what, one of the things that you say is like, you know, as you mentioned, I work a lot in processing and you do uh, a lot of nutrition with feed milling. Anna, could you, you know, tell us, like, what do you think are the big lessons, you know, that you have learned throughout the year as a feed meal nutritionist? Probably the biggest one I'll start with, and is, uh, you know, the title we talked about is having, like, five lessons I've learned, and by far the biggest one is communication, and the importance of communicating between the people in the mill and the nutritionist, and, and that that comes out in a number of different ways. Uh, nutritionists can can sometimes make the life of the person in the feed mill very difficult or make it easier based on some of the requests that they have. And and so communication around areas such as if we're going to change ingredients in a diet, you know, given the feed mill lead time to know understanding, you know, what's going to happen and, and can we use up the existing inventory, um, it, you know, to to make sure that we optimize the, the, the cost and the benefit for everybody in, in the system. To things like uh, having having that comfort level that the that the people on the procurement side in the mill, when they get an ingredient in that doesn't look right, uh, that they can pick up the phone and talk to the nutritionist. And say, okay, is there something we, we need to do different here? Or if if things go wrong in the mill, uh, that's that's probably the biggest reason that as a nutritionist, I want a good relationship. Is I want the the people in the mill to be comfortable uh, to tell me when something goes wrong, and so we can come up with a plan that's going to have the least negative impact on on the production system, and and be able to utilize the whatever whatever product was made that may not be up to specs. Uh, obviously, the cost of ingredients today is very high, and we don't want to uh, certainly don't want to discard anything that we don't have to, and. And you know, I could give several examples there, and you know some of them that, that people in the mill sometimes don't think are a very big thing. But a, a great example for me is I had a mill call me that um, had ran out of salt, and and they they were wondering, I said, well, we just you know, we're going to continue making feed uh, because uh, we you know salt isn't very important, and it's such a small portion of the diet. I said, whoa, 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 time out. We we need to talk about this because. You know, we've unfortunately we've had the experiences that something as simple as salt—that's the least expensive ingredient that we put in the diet many times—has the biggest impact on feed intake of an animal. And a diet without salt, they simply do not want to eat it, and so it, it has a major, major repercussion on downstream performance. And so, being able to talk through some of those things, um, you know, versus other avenues are much easier to handle if they run out of a particular ingredient we can substitute many times uh, but some of them we can't substitute quite as easily excellent i, I you know you you were mentioning salt and uh, you know with um in poultry for example we pay a lot of attention on that too because uh, and uh, and as you're mentioning 
uh, that communication is su super important because let's say you got the opposite, right? And then the pigs or the chickens start consuming more water in the in, in the field. So that would be that either there was a mistake or probably a turnhead didn't close correctly and then now you got too much salt. So uh, it's, it's really interesting what you're talking about, like the importance of communications between nutrition, um, feed meals, and, and uh, you know, the live production people working on the field. Yep. That's exactly right, and 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 I I think they it it ties into the communication ties into the uh, my second you know lesson that I think I've I've learned is is a uh, uh, you you want to build that level of communication so you can trust but you still want to verify and and I think you know anybody that that's involved with uh, with you know filling out paperwork and feed mills and 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 all the the reports that you can get now certainly can understand this but they. You you do want to build up that level of trust and know that the people in the mill are trying to do their best to to meet the the specs and the right uh, what you're trying to do as a nutritionist, but you still want to be able to verify and get into that mill and and take a look at the ingredient bins and make sure the micro ingredients are are in the right bins and do they do they look correct and do they does it look like there there's not any problems there and 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 getting in the mill also helps you to determine where there's bottlenecks and and where there's there's opportunities for you to help the mill uh, increase their throughput and productivity uh, or to reduce the cost for you uh, uh, by uh, by you know getting in and seeing what's going on and and where the the difficulties arise and and as you know every mill is a little different on where those those issues are at and and so you you can't just assume that every mill has the same bottlenecks. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like just, just to give you like one, one of the things that happened to me once, and the verification pro, uh, is is very important. I went to a mill one time, and uh, they have some issues with the scales, and uh, the scales basically couldn't do what the feed formulation was asking for, and then they were likely verifying that, um, you know, at the end of the day, they were not losing too much corn or too soy or too much soybean meal or gaining. But also, it's important to see where that soybean and that corn went to, right? It went to the right bash. Mm -hmm. So that that verification is is extremely important. Yes, and and there's there's some really strange things that can happen, and and verification and validation is the only way you can really you know, really track them down over time. And and you know, there's uh, uh, yeah, there's lots of examples. I have one from a, a good friend, uh, Wayne Cass, that that told me about that. Where that took a long time to figure out in a mill what was going on, and because the uh, the the there were the the final diets uh, weren't matching up exactly, but when you did the 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 validation of the ingredient usage in the mill, it all was was matching up pretty closely. And um, and what they they ended up finding out was is that there was a there was a hole between two bins that was exchanging ingredients back and forth, and and it was it took a long time to get to the bottom of that one. But <laughs> and it was an ingredient that was used more heavily, if I remember right, it was more used more heavily in nursery diets, and so it it uh, it it was still being used in the right amount, but but totally in the wrong diets. <laughs> wrong diets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But those things can happen, and that's why you want to you you want to uh, you know th that good example is is there's nothing that the feed mill was was necessarily doing wrong there. It was just that it took a while to figure out that there was an equipment failure that, that yeah. needed to be found. Yeah, yeah and uh, uh, you know to do this, uh, you um, we really need to train the, the 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 feed mill employees. What would be your advice about like you know what kind of training or how often they need to get that um, that training? 
Well, that's a it's a good question, I, and I think I think the for me the, um, the you know I I don't know if I know the the right am, uh, number of you know the hours or how often they need to do this, but I think it's really that uh, that communication on helping them understand that that you know small changes and in some ingredients can be very important in terms of um, being off on on the specs and helping them understand which ingredients that's important for and which ingredients and 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 a lot of that t- ties into the tolerances that are built into the the batching software and and making sure that those tolerances are set correctly uh, that that you know obviously for for major ingredients uh, our grains and our soybean meal we can uh, stand a lot more a wider variation in terms of what's added to the diet then we get into some of the micro ingredients. And so, so I think some of that is having the, the, the software uh, set up correctly to, to help um, the, make sure that you don't have the person in the mill having to make too many of those decisions themselves. And, and it, I think it really comes down to then when do they override what the alarm is saying and, 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 so, and when, when is it okay to override an alarm and when is it not okay? And, and, and that's probably the biggest thing is, is if they don't have the training and the education to do that, to make sure that their supervisor does, or or that there's somebody that they can rely on to to um, answer those questions for them, uh, I think is a, is a real big key. Yeah, and and I think uh, and this is something that you know I'm trying to promote too. Is like uh, the feed mill employees should get some training in nutrition because uh, that's when they are going to understand, you know, um, uh, what are the most critical ingredients or nutrients in 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 uh, during feed processing. Yes, that's that's exactly right. And there's, you know, you get into the, the micro ingredients, and we talked about salt, but the the premixes, and and each every one of these premixes are handled differently in terms of the, you know how they're put up and put uh, put together. And we have some of them we have regulatory issues we need to deal with, and others we don't. And so yeah, you have like if selenium is in that uh, trace mineral premix or in a VTM versus if it's handled separately as is probably the biggest one that we run into is when it's in a, a VTM, then you're very, you have a very strict maximum amount of, of that VTM that can go into a diet and, and helping the, the, the staff understand that in the mill and the, the workers know that they, you can't uh, have higher than that level and uh, versus uh, when you have it outside the VTM, uh, then the, the VTM doesn't have quite the same restrictions and concerns as, uh, other than a cost concern if you go too much in, the, in a diet. That is true. That is true. Yeah. And uh, what other lessons, you know, like would you share with us? Well, the third one that I had down is is understanding where the incentives lie for the the people in the feed mill, um, and that that can be either financial incentives or non financial ones, and and obviously the financial ones some sometimes are are easier to see. Uh, well, like when we talk about reducing particle size and 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 have you know for pigs we want a much low, lower particle size now than what you want on poultry, and 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 we also know that there's a cost to go into lower particle size, and there's headaches that come with it, and so um, helping understand the the critical importance of it and monitoring it to make sure that we're hitting the goals of the on the swine production side uh, because of the impact that it has on feed utilization and feed efficiency. Uh, it, it, that's is one example. Uh, you know, understanding batch sizes and diet phases and and what how that works into the feed mill. Some feed mills, if I add another diet phase, it's a huge headache for them. And in terms of handling another diet, as and, and this is really particularly in mills that are pelleting all their diets, um, as compared to a mill that is is producing mash feed. Sometimes reducing a number of phases doesn't save them anything because they're making the same size batches and filling the trucks the same way. And so 
so understanding that that taking out a diet from a a, a toll mill that's doing uh, mash feed may not save you anything um, uh, versus doing it in a large pellet mill uh, you know, complex uh, may, may be a, a quite a huge savings for the for the mill and and for the people involved and and so under that you know the financial side of it but then I said the non-financial um, you know what are the pain in the rear things that that the mill doesn't like or, or that are real time consuming and and that those are ones that if if we uh, if I if I put in an ingredient that's uh, uh, higher uh, too high of inclusion rate that is has to be handed in, handled in a hand ad or any kind of hand ad that I add to the to the formula that they don't have enough micro bins in the mill or there there's not set up to weigh it out very easily those kind of things um, you have to understand as a nutritionist if you make that difficult and you make it hard you make a more of an opportunity to have a mistake more of an opportunity for for to have somebody that gets tired of adding it and decides not to put it in all the diets all the, all those little things that can happen um, with hand ads are it's so much harder to find when an error occurs and and so um, yeah uh, another headache one I, I just thought about was the DDGS side uh, that that you know in the Midwest we deal with an awful lot of DDGS and in our corn soybean meal based diets and and for us, the um, the DDGS sources that are the best for the pigs and the best for feed efficiency, most of the time aren't the same sources that are the best for handling in the feed mill. And, and so that having that discussion and that conversation that that yes, uh, we we understand that unloading DDGs is not always the easiest or the most fun part of the being in a feed mill, uh, but that though some of these sources that that are either have a little higher fat content or or have uh, more more solubles in them may provide more valuable to value to us on the nutrition side, uh, but they may provide more headaches on the feed mill side. Yeah. And I, when, when you were talking about like, you know, like uh, changing ingredients or adding uh, a small sizes, do you see like any trends in uh, feed mills between those ones that are used in mash and pellets? Uh, are, you know, how, how do those trends look like moving forward? Are you, are you seeing more people moving to pelleting or, or not really? It it depends on the part of the world that you're in is what I what I would uh, say is is in in the Midwest U.S. we still aren't seeing a huge drive towards pelleted diets. Now there, we certainly have large mills here that have pellet capabilities, but the uh, what what we we end up uh, getting feedback on is is even the larger integrators that have done trials and we can pick up the benefits of pelleting. Uh, we, we know that if we make a decent quality pellet that we can find those responses quite easily. Uh, but we when we go out in the field and with the quality of pellets that we often get when, when we're dealing with a corn soy based diet and, and with higher throughputs, uh, we lose a lot of the, the benefits. Uh, we, we're not able to find them quite as large. And so that, and it ties to the health status of the pigs so much is that if, if we have Areas where we have a lot of, of uh, purrs or flu, um, and where pigs are going off feed for a variety of reasons, or or if we have the wrong feed equipment in the barns or the wrong feeders in the barns, all those kind of things can contribute to ulcers then and ulcer mortality in the barns. And so then sometimes those those losses in mortality o- offset the gains that we see in feed efficiency and growth from the pellets. And so. So it's a it's a much different answer than what we see in the Midwest U.S. where it's corn soy based than what I see a- around the world. 
particularly in in Europe where, uh, or in even when you get outside the Midwest as you get further you know to where you you're located and then you get on the coast you, the ingredient prices are much more expensive and so that then the the cost of the diet and the benefit and feed efficiency is a much higher return and and so you 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 have all those things interacting with each other and and Probably the other big one in the Midwest that that slows down the adoption of pelleting is the toll mill uh, uh, systems. We've got an awful lot of toll mills, and um, and that's been a very big benefit for us in in the Midwest to keep our cost of of storage and and uh, production lower. Uh, but that's probably one of the biggest changes that we're seeing right now going on is that we're seeing some consolidation of those mills and some uh, mothballing of older mills. And so uh, the transportation is starting to get longer between the feed mill and some of the sites. And as that continues to consolidate, I do think that we're probably going to go see pelleting, as an example, become a bigger, bigger issue because of of the advantages that you gain even in trucking and 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 in uh, in feed efficiency and how much less feed you have to truck to the farm uh, when you move to a pelleted diet. Yeah, and. Uh- and uh, do you see any difference in grinding equipment? Because I, I, I remember that once I went to the Midwest and I saw only roller mills. So I don't know if uh, all the feed mills in the Midwest use use more roller mills compared like to my area where everyone use hammer mills. Yes, it's t- totally different. You're exactly right. We we are almost entirely roller mills in, in the Midwest. And, and most of them are, are three high roller mills um, and, and the... Uh, and the, the reason we've moved that direction, and again, it's a it's a very much a corn dominated diet, and and we and when we're handling it in a mash form, you need to be have flowability, and so you want a consistent uniform uh, particle size for flowability, so we can take that particle size down to 500 or or microns or less, and still get it to flow through the through the bins and through the augers and the farm, and 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 so, but obviously, as you know, when you go to a pelleted diet. The hammer mill uh, provides you uh, some advantages because you create that distribution of particles that sometimes is better for pellet quality, and so so you have those those opposite uh, you know uh, you know targets that, that you're trying to shoot for. And roller mills, you know, a long time ago, roller mills started becoming popular in the Midwest because of the reduced energy usage, uh, uh, and 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 I, I think. When we go to a smaller particle size, as you know, you don't see quite the same advantages in energy utilization, um, but the uniformity of the particle size is what's really driven us to to, to having, I, I would say three high uh, roller mills is definitely the standard that you'd see in the majority of the mills in the Midwest. Okay. And uh, so uh, it seems like at 500 uh, microns would be like that uh, optimum particle size where you can get like ben- the benefits of... Uh, uh, feed efficiency and uh, good flowability characteristics. Yes, that's exactly right. And you, you have, you, you know, we we know that um, that well with nursery pigs. If we get it much finer than that, they they don't want to eat it. They don't like powder. Um, ba- baby pigs don't 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 like the the palatability of powder very much. Finishing pigs, they uh, it doesn't influence them as much going to smaller particle size. And you can continue to get feed efficiency benefits on a mash diet going down to 300 microns, um, but you just can't handle it in many situations. And, and, yeah. and so that, that's that's a lot of the reason that some people go to pellets is just so they can lower the particle size and still get it to flow. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true because I imagine that if you get like too fine, it's probably really hard to manage at the feeder level. 
Yes, it, it's it, it becomes a very difficult uh, issue to, to get it to flow out of a feeder uh, if it's too fine and and you know we have uh, it, it just you you don't and then the the, uh, the pig and this is you know uh, when we have the other part with the consistent particle sizes is it doesn't uh, allow the pig to do much sorting and and that's the 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 pig will be a very efficient sorter if you give them the opportunity and so we we want to run our feeders relatively tight so that they eat the feed and they don't uh, sort in the pan. And um, and especially with, with in today's feed cost, we obviously don't want any wastage occurring in, in the pan. And so if you run them a little tighter, that also hurts you on on the flow of getting that feed out of out of the back of the feeder. And so it becomes a job for the person in the in the barn to to keep feed available to the pigs at all time. Anna, do you do you, do you know like if meals are grinding other ingredients like soybean meal or they are basically focusing on grinding corn? Yes, it's only corn. Uh, the you know the, the in the certainly the uh, most of the U.S. we don't see the the soybean meal and and uh, and or the DDGs come come in ground fine enough and 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 the uh, you know we'll have a few mills that'll deal in other grains that they'll they'll have to uh, grind and that's where you see the hammer mill advantage is certainly if you're bringing in wheat or barley or oats in any level you almost have to have a hammer mill to handle some of those ingredients uh, but the when uh, most of these mills in the corn belt uh, would be only grinding their their corn we've done research on grinding the soybean mill and and there's there are some improvements in, in amino acid digestibility uh, you know when you grind the soybean mill finer than what it comes out of the the uh, soy processor um, but but it's hard to pick up those advantages when we do growth studies to 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 show them it's you know there are two to three percent improvements in in amino acid digestibility that we have a hard time translating into into the on the research side into improved feed efficiency. Uh, but it but it is one that that I, I uh, as I think about soybean meal it also varies on where in the country the soybean meal is being produced, the particle size you know, for uh, in Kansas here or in Minnesota. Um, is a little bit smaller on the soybean meal than what I see in Iowa. Iowa, the soybean meal, for whatever reason, they their particle size is is about 200 to 300 microns higher than what it is out of, out of some of the other areas. And so, so there's p- probably be more benefit on grinding so- like the soybean meal as an example. If you're starting with an 11 or 1200 micron soybean meal, than if you're starting with a 700 to 800 micron soybean. Yeah, yeah, and I see that you know, like in the in in a, in a poultry, we don't grind soybean meal too. But I see, like, um, typically when you go out outside of the U.S., you see, like, many uh, companies that grind it to improve pellet quality. But in poultry, we don't want to grind it because, you know, poultry really need those coarse, you know, porridge yes. for gizzard function and reverse peristalsis. But I, I was curious about, like, the, the peak side. Yeah. Well, and that, you know, those larger particles, that's actually been an interesting one that you know, watch what you've been doing on the poultry side. And we probably need to do a little bit of research on that in, in pigs um, and on because we know that that there's some benefits for for the intestinal maturation and 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 for uh, for uh, the right uh, bacteria to have certain particle, you know, so, a certain percentage of larger particles. The trouble is, is if we do very many of it all in the pig, we give up on too much of feed efficiency. We we can't get we don't have the crop to grind it the way the, the way the chicken does. That's true. That's true. I think another area, another lesson that I had down, uh, my fourth one was is understanding scales and batching in in the mill. And that, uh, as a nutritionist, that's an area that that I I think it's very important for a nutritionist to understand, and it's very important for the feed mill to help also communicate back to the nutritionist on what can be done. 
And and just the examples I have there is is you know we have an ingredient like tryptophan that we may uh, formulate to a hundredth, and and then we the person at the feed mill uh, enters it in the computer to the nearest tenth, and then and then we find out that their batching system is only me- measures to the nearest half a pound or to the nearest pound, and and so we we totally lose the precision and the benefit, and and all of a sudden we've taken a relatively expensive micro ingredient. And and we we are either not adding it at all, or and we think we are, or we're adding it at a much higher rate than what we we thought thought we were when we put the formula together. Yeah, and and, and that's something that you know what I was telling you uh, about this feed mill that have issues with inventory management. It was because there was no compatibility between what the formulation, you know, like the formula that the feed mill receives, and what the scale can actually do. Uh, and I think I think that is very important, and we forget about that. Well, well, and that that's when you know we've heard the we're we've learned this the hard way a little bit on, and probably one of the very important areas that people have gotten themselves in trouble in the swine industry is around phytase and calcium and phosphorus, and and a lot of this is has it has been been around how the equipment in the mill. Uh, responds as compared to what the nutritionist thought was happening, and and I guess two main examples there is is one of them is around the monocalphosphate or dicalphosphate or defluorinated phosphate or whatever the phosphorus source is. That in some, especially when we were using uh, larger quantities of of the phosphorus in the diet, that was being added to the mixer many times in a eight or nine inch auger. Um, and, and that, uh, and the, so the, st- you would have free fall of, you know, six to eight pounds or many times or higher on the monocal. And, and it, it was a, not a big deal when you were adding 50, 60 pounds of monocal or 40 pounds of monocal to a diet. But then when we go down to adding five or six pounds of monocal to a diet, uh, or, or, you, or two pounds of monocal, it's not physically possible to do that in the mill and, and, and trying to, uh, you know, so all of a sudden we're, we're having either again no monocal going in or very, or a lot going in, and in calcium it you know it gives the other side of that equation. Uh, the calcium phosphorus ratio is very important when we're dealing with phytase, and and we find out that calcium finds its way into diets a lot of different ways, and and so uh, you know understanding what all additives are be, are going into the diet that what you know sometimes the nutritionist doesn't even know what the veterinarian is adding or what somebody else is adding at, at the feed mill level that is adding calcium because it's used as a carrier in so many different ingredients. And, and so having that, that understanding, and then, and then just like I talked about the free fall, uh, understanding that the free fall on the calcium carbonate uh, bin uh, is, is extremely important in terms of dealing with, especially with baby pig diets uh, that we, we just can't handle having excess calcium in those diets uh, because of the negative effects it has on, on the pig. And, uh, and that's something that I, we've had to learn the hard way. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can give you another example because I was thinking about that too. Um, when uh, you are assigning the, the ingredients in the microbeans too, you know, in, I always like to put the most critical ingredients closer to the mixer. You know, like if you got like, if you are weighing like phytase, you know, phytase are becoming more concentrated. So we add less and less and less. So you don't want to put it like in the last microbean. You want to put it like in the one closer to the mixer or if you are using medications too. That way, you know, the ingredients that are behind can clean out the auger. Uh, even the, the companies might be doing like some flushing and sequencing, but it just gives you like that extra uh, 
uh, insurance. That, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought about that one because a lot of times people want to put the highest inclusion rate ones close to the mixer, and it may be better to put them the furthest from the mixer. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I feel like when you put in um, the most critical closer to the mixer, then you ensure that that goes to the correct bash. Yep. Well, that's that's a that's a very good point, and and. And I think the you know that 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 other side of that that with the batching side is is it uh, you know helping um, and I already talked about hand ads some but that becomes so, so critical on the on on trying to minimize and eliminate as many hand ads as possible and that's that's an area I, I know um, integrated nutritionists uh, we've got a lot of our, our students that we've uh, graduated out of here that that have, are working for a lot of the larger production companies today and and they and they've they do a very good job of this, and I have sometimes learned from them in terms of how to uh, put together packs and and um, and help the feed mill out with trying to minimize the number of things that 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 can't go into the limited number of micro bins that they may have, and or to or to uh, to put it in an overhead bin so that we don't have to do hand ads of large quantities of anything in that mill. Yeah. Well, the the last one I had is uh, as for my uh, you know five uh, lessons was around. This is kind of a big gut bucket for me, but as uh, understanding ingredient procurement and and then how samples are taken and retained at that mill, um, and then the paperwork requirements that that they may be under, and and the nutritionists really need to understand some of this because because we can again use it as our friend on understanding where where. Uh, samples may be available to us if we run into a problem that we can go back and find out is there an issue that happened either uh, it, we, sometimes we find out that there's an issue in the barn um, and we and we take a sample there and and, and sometimes that sample isn't taken very well <laughs> so so we, we have we always want to go back and verify it with what's ha- what sample that was taken at the feed mill and and because sometimes it can be that they got contaminated in the truck on the way to the to the farm we've We've had a situation like that recently where the truck hauled out a, a, a supplement uh, before they hauled the, our uh, research feed, and, and the, we ended up with a very high ash content in our research feed, and it was just it, the, the, the samples from the mill kept telling us that there was nothing wrong until we looked, looked through sequencing, and, and, and fortunately, the feed mill was very good at working with us and understanding you know their, their sequencing of where their trucks were at, and we were able to track down why the, the diets came out the way that they did, and you know, but those you know, understanding some of this and, and again, goes back to helping people understand the importance of, of, of flushing trucks and, and, and of when it's important, when it's not, and, you know, and what, what we need to do from, uh, uh, to help out everybody in the system. And, and, and I think that, you know, the the side that, um, you know, the swine world, we've been focusing a lot more the recent years on the feed safety side and, and the concerns about, uh, introducing viruses and, and in particular and you know and bacteria but more more viruses than bacteria recently into the diet and and into the barn uh, through the feed mill and and so uh, helping uh, for me that's been an area that, that the nutritionists have played an important role in interacting with the veterinarians uh, because we even though we're not in the mill every day we know what's going on in the mill more than the veterinarians do many times and so helping them understand what's doable and what's not doable uh, before we go down and sit with sit down with the feed mill uh, because sometimes for the, the feed mill people it's uh, it's you're you, they feel like they're being attacked by by the production side, <laughs> and, and, and we don't want that situation because it, you know sometimes it, you're a 
your situation is is what you uh, inherited or you built a, as a company, and sometimes you can't change where the driveway is located, or you can't change that you're dumping ingredients into the in, into the same you know driveway as you're as you're taking finished feed out of, and that and that you know as you're building new mills, you want to think about all those things, but sometimes on an existing mill, it's it's not as easy to request a change as what what the veterinarian or the nutritionist may think it is. Yeah, and, and you you know, like you bring like a really good point, and also you spoke about this at the beginning of our conversation is communication, right? Uh, issues, you know, I don't think that a company is gonna run perfect all the time. There are always gonna something is gonna happen, and uh, the idea is not to find somebody to blame, right? Is to work as a team to avoid that problem uh, in the future. Yes, that's exactly right, and you and you want you want both sides the 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 pig owner and uh, you know, if these are two different companies, example, the pig owner and the feed mill owner to understand and to have a long-term thought process that we don't want to, like you said, assign blame. We're, we're trying to get to the bottom of the issue and try to prevent it from happening the next time is is really the core of it. When you're in an integrated system, that sometimes is easier to do. Sometimes, it may, you know, maybe sometimes it's not, but it, but sometimes I think it's easier because you are on the same team, and it's and it's uh, clearer that that the finances are all through the same you know same company, and so incentives on uh, one side, uh, you know, we need to think about how that impacts the other side, and 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 it's you know even whether you're integrated or not, you know, we need to be profitable through the whole whole production system in order to have everybody uh, have their job and and to uh, to keep the feed mill running and to keep the production system going. Um, and so we have to figure out ways to work together. And yeah, yeah, and even I, I see like if you have like a, a commercial feed mill, right, and the producer who is buying that feed is doing well and continue growing, then your business continues growing. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that's the, the last piece of this part about the, um, you know, the sampling and the, and the paperwork side and stuff is, is I, I think a lot of uh, producers in particular don't understand just how stringent some of the paperwork is in feed mills and uh, particularly around antibiotic usage and, and the, um, and, and, and so I, uh, I think that's an area that, that whenever I try to get into a mill with a, with a pick producer, um, and, or the, somebody from the, the, uh, the, uh, that that's out on the production side and getting them in the mill is I want to make sure that they see what what has has to happen in the mill around antibiotic usage and and to, so that they can get a good understanding of especially if we if we ask the mill to add another antibiotic or we ask them to to change something majorly is is uh, what what that does to to their day and and uh, what it, um and it, what if we if we have a mill that's antibiotic free how much that also benefits the mill in terms of a deal compared to a mill that's got make, making a lot of antibiotic feed yeah and i i i i feel like that that's a big challenge for like the tall millings that you were describing because they use so many different ingredients, right? They get like, uh, probably they, they might get like four different uh, phosphate sources, yes. a lime source sources, zinc, yes. uranium, et cetera. So they, uh, as you're mentioning, as we simplify, you know, like their, you make their work easier, uh, we reduce the likelihood of, uh, you know, making mistakes at the feed mill. Yep. I was in a, a smaller feed mill in Minnesota that, that was making feed for uh, you know a lot of different production systems and and I, I went through their uh, their 
ingredient area. They had five different fight taste sources in, in that mill. And, you know, and, and we have, you know, at least three of those companies that they work with were auditing them for the age of the fight taste and, and, and wanted to make sure that it wasn't getting old. And it's like, well, it's impossible not to get it old when you've got five fight taste sources trying to manage inventory on. And so things, things like that, or, or, you know, everybody's got their own vitamin trace mineral premix. And so it's one of those things that you keep trying to work with some of these production systems, especially that are close together uh, some of them, uh, I tell them, you, you guys were trained at the same place. You have you you believe in the same things. The premixes are almost identical. Can't we just use one premix for both these production systems? Yes, yes, yes. Examples. <laughs> yeah. It's time for our famous three. But yeah, well, uh, we're getting you know close to the end, Doctor Tokash. And uh, before we finish, I would like just to ask you, you know, like a, a couple of general questions. Um, the first would be, what is your favorite uh, feed meal related book or resource? Well, I, I know that a lot of your um, your, your listeners and, and a lot of people you're going to have on here will talk about the feed technology books. And, and I certainly use those quite quite uh, uh, often and, um, and refer to them when I have you know, uh, in-depth questions. But I, I would uh, steer your, your audience to the, uh, the feed science research and extension website that the KSU Grain Science and Chad Paul helped put together with Charles Stark here at K-State. A lot of very nice fact sheets and, and uh, uh, Kara Dunmeyer was the, the PhD student that helped build that. And, and there's, there's a lot of good resources there that, that help answer a lot of, a lot of the questions. And, and uh, I think it's a, a great resource. And you can just, if you Google the feed science research and extension, um, it shows up as one of the first links. Excellent. And, uh, you know, hopefully some of the, some grad students out there are going to be listening to this podcast too. Um, what would be your advice for them? Uh, how, how can they get prepared better to be more successful? Uh, regardless of what they do, some of them are going to be working in nutrition, a light industry, feed meal. Uh, what would be your advice for them? Well, I, I think take advantage of every opportunity you can. I mean, that's it's and that one's easier said than done too. Sometimes because you're you're this grad student, you feel like you're overwhelmed and, and busy all the time and have too many things on your plate. But when you have opportunities to uh, to get into a feed mill, um, to take it, or if you have an opportunity, if you're a, a nutrition student, uh, it, you definitely want to you know get into mills as often as you can with somebody that knows what they're doing, walking through mills uh, to try to help educate you. The other side, if you're on the feed processing side, you know, take an opportunity to get into production, uh, into poultry or into swine production facilities and understand how their bins are laid out and how they, you know, some of the things that become the headaches there and stuff. And 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 and, and the same co- comes to coursework. If, you know, we're very fortunate, like I said, here at Kansas State that we have have the opportunity for our students to take some feed processing courses. And so we encourage all of our graduate students to take Take at least a one or two of those courses as a start uh, to uh, to open their eyes a little bit about the the feed processing side because not all of their uh, colleagues at other universities have that opportunity and and so we uh, fortunately there's getting to be a few more feed programs around the country which is nice to see because I I think that that's that's one of the ways we open the communication is we get people to understand uh, what's going on in the other sides of industry. Yeah, and I even feel like the industry, I'm not seeing the feed mill more like as a co-center. Like when, when I came, you know, to the industry 15 to 20 years, it was not a lot of investments in, in feed mill. And I see more more companies uh, investing in new mills or just upgrading the the, 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 the the meals that they built like 15, 20 years ago, which, which is really good. 
Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Tokash. It has been a pleasure uh, to spend, you know, uh, 40 minutes with you. I, I, I learned a lot today. Well, thank you. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.